0: Shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Beisrach Sashem, we're going to be continuing our series of Shirim on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And tonight's sheer is going to be titled Desire, the Dissatisfaction of the Soul. Now, picking up from two weeks ago, when we spoke about how for the Ishbits and Radzin Sadiqim, questioning itself, the psychological act of inverting the self from looking outwards towards moving inwards and questioning the reality of the self or questioning where the questions of the self emerge from, we saw from the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin that that, according to the Meshiloach, was proof enough for Avraham Avinu to behold the fact that the world was not simply what it looked like, but rather that there was something invisible, an invisible hand of the Creator, guiding history and guiding his own questioning heart to that which needed to be questioned. And how the questioning itself opened up the path or the quest towards the belief that there was a meaning beyond the broken externalities of the world. And we spoke about how questioning itself allows an individual to descend inwards, into the self, to allow for not only an intensification of the self, wherein we need to utilize different strengths of character and personality that were hitherto unutilized, but rather it also led to a potentiation of the self, wherein that which exists internally through the inner questioning by the self of itself and the self within itself, that questioning gave birth to a burgeoning power, a burgeoning potency that eventually allows the self to manifest in a greater, more intensified way. So the act of questioning is not simply one that seeks an answer to end the questioning, but the question for Ishbitz and Radzin is meant to survive the answer. That there is a spiritual almost ontological reality to the act of questioning that by allowing ourselves to enter into that space of suspended knowledge wherein for the moment at least we truly do not know which direction to turn or what to believe in or what is certain and what is doubtful in that moment in that suspended reality when the individual allows themselves to wean themselves off of the comfortable edifices of knowledge and absolutism, in those moments a person is capable of experiencing or utilizing a strength of faith within the self that touches the core of who we are in a much deeper way than an answer could ever touch. Now, what I'd like to try and clarify this week, based on certain questions that I received about the shir that was given, as well as the next shlav, or the next rung in the ladder, that we're going to be ascending, or descending, because really the world of Ishbitz and Radzin is the lowest point, is the world of Malchus, like we spoke about in the introduction. So on a certain level, the further we move along the path of understanding Ishbitz and Radzin, the more inwards we move, descending down into those irreducible parts of ourselves, that remain in spite of all of the confusion and the doubts that abide within reality, that the next rung or the more internal rung is going to be a question of desire, a question of not being capable of reaching that destination that we have determined for ourselves is the place we would like to reach. The question that I would like to answer from the Shiron questioning is why is it that for Ishbitz and Radzin, the question outweighs the answer. Why is it that this sense of suspended knowledge allows for a deeper experience of spirituality that knowledge itself can't offer? And it's a very reasonable question because the typical hierarchies that we assign to the binary oppositions of knowledge and lack of knowledge or answers and questions or certainty and doubt, typically The way we look at it is that certainty and answers and knowledge is a loftier experience than doubt, questions, and lack of knowing. But in Ishbitz and Radzin, what we see is an inversion of the terms. We see a deconstruction of these binary oppositions and a willingness to ponder a world or a spiritual reality wherein the hierarchical relationships that we so often live by are put into question. And the Ishbitz and Radzin Sadikim force us to acknowledge the possibility that perhaps those spiritual ideals or those religious ideals or even those psychological ideals that we place so often at the apex of human experience, associating them with the role of knowledge or knowing or conquering or having more control as a human being, Ishbitz and Radzin forces us to acknowledge the possibility that in truth, the hither side of these binary oppositions is in truth, the higher level of spiritual experience, that it is specifically in the doubts and in the questions and in the lack of clarity, that when the soul is capable of being mitmoded, of confronting it and facing it unflinchingly, that we have access to potencies and experiences that would not be accessible if the world operated according to the positive emphasis that we always hope for. So Ishbitz and Redzin are trying to show us very often that it is typically in those places that our first thought assumes to be negative and difficult and painful that we can actually uncover and disclose the true potency of spiritual experience. Now, the question is, why is this true? Why is it that for Ishbitz and Radzin, the question contains a spiritual potency that is greater than the answer? And that is what I would like to try and answer this week. So on a certain level, the, the purpose of this week's class is not only moving inwards a deeper level into the derech of Ishbitz and Radzin, but it's also coming to explain a very simple and reasonable question of why is it that this intensity or this severity or this difficulty allows us to enter into a closer relationship with God than positivity and those things which appear to be easy. What I would like to start off with is the basic sense that Ishbitz and Radzin, for all of their radical possibilities and the novelties that they expose within the spiritual path of what it means to serve God in this (coughs) world, that Ishbitz and Radzin are not so different from a typical understanding of what it means for a human being to attempt to cleave to God in this world. That the path of Ishbitz and Radzin is going to, at the end of the day, align itself with the teachings of the Kabbalah of the Arizal, which according to Rav Gersh and Henach of Radzin are also the teachings as expressed in the Zohar, which according to Rav Gershon Henach of Radzin as explicitly stated, in the Psicha Hakdama, in the opening and introduction to the Sefer of Beit Yaakov, which we're going to be learning more and more, that according to the Sod Yasharim of Gershon of Ishbitz, not only was the Meshiloach continuing the path of what the Balshemtov opened up, he was also continuing the path of what the Arizal opened up, and he was also continuing the path of what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, as the author of the Zohar, was opening up. And most importantly, and here is the novelty of what Ishbitz and Radzin would point out, and Shaul does a very beautiful job in expressing this in his book, Hasidism on the Margin, where he describes the path of Rav Gershon of Radzin very explicitly. Rav Gershon of Radzin did not see any distinction or argument between the typically assumed more rational or philosophical approaches to Yahadus or Judaism and the more mystically-influenced trends of Hasidus and Kabbalah. That for Rav Gershon of Radzin, the Rambam, Maimonides, is as relevant to the emergence of Sisrei Torah, of Pneimias Torah as Rashbi and the Arizal were. And this is not a particularly novel idea, because what we see in the writings of Rav Kook, and in the writings of the Lashem Shevava Haloma, and in the writings almost of Rav Chalap and the Nazir and the different students of Rav Kook, and something we've discussed in previous series of Shirim, is that for the Mikubalim, for the Kabbalists, the God of Maimonides, the way of encountering HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a limited creature according to the Rambam, is going to be the apex of the Kabbalistic system as well. Because as the Rambam, as Maimonides expresses so explicitly in his Guide to the Perplexed in Mornevucham as well as Hilchos Deos, is that when it comes to understanding the concept of the Infinite, what we must hold in our minds at all moments when contemplating, discussing, and sharing ideas about Ein Sof, or the Infinite, is that at the end of the day, once we've ascended the ladder of spiritual processes and we've reached the apex, what we encounter is the realization that in spite of all of the effort that I have made, there will always already be an irreducible distance that exists and that remains between the created creatures and the creator itself. That at the end of the day, all we can say about God, so to speak, is by way of negation, is by way of saying what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not. Because when we assert certain positivistic statements about the reality of God, so to speak, or the way in which God, so to speak, encounters or engages in reality, or the shape of the Godhead, so to speak, what we must recognize is that any positivistic statement, any statement that attempts to ascertain what God is in very specific details, for the Rambam as well as for the Mikubalim, and as we're going to see, this is very true for the Tzadikim of Ishbit and Radzin as well, a positive statement is tantamount to a limitation. Because when I claim with positivistic certainty that God is X and Y, so to speak, then I am negating from God, then I am detracting from God, so to speak, the capacity for God to not be X and not be Y. And therefore, any positive statements, any certainty that we apply to the specifics of how God interacts with the world is always already almost an act of kafira, an act of denial of God. Because to apply limits or names or certain aspects to godliness, we're saying, so to speak, that the opposite cannot be true, thereby limiting from God or detracting from God, so to speak, the possibility of existing in ways that are above and beyond the human intellect. So for Maimonides and for the Mikubalim, when we reach the apex of the spiritual quest or the philosophical quest, Or the quest of what the Arizal opened up for us, or what the Zohar opened up for us, which was the attempt to understand God through the intellect itself, or the intellect of the heart, wherein thinking and emotional feeling kiss each other, and we encounter this liminal space wherein the thoughts that I have have an influence on the feelings that I experience. When we attempt to encounter God in this space, what we must say to ourselves is that at the end of the day, the closest thing that we can do is say what God is not. Because only when we say what God is not, are we allowing the infinite possibilities of God to continue to exist. I can say that God, so to speak, is without a body, is without measurement, is outside of time. Because by applying negative statements to God, by detracting certain qualities from what God might be, so to speak, I am still allowing for, on a certain level, infinite possibilities of what God might be. So it's really only in the negative statements, in saying what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not, in what is typically referred to as negative theology, as coming to a place where we recognize that because God is so infinite, Because God is so infinitely removed from what human beings are capable of expressing with our limited ideas or language, all we can talk about when we talk about God is what God is not. Because when talking about what God is not, we allow for the infinitude or the infinite possibilities of godliness to continue to exist in potentia the moment that I apply positivistic statements about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not, is the moment that I apply limitations, measurements, so to speak. Almost the impulse of idolatry, the impulse of taking this infinite concept of godliness and applying stricture and limit and measurement to it. So as we're going to see, the meshiloach and the Tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin They follow the path of the Rambam in the sense that they deeply confirm the reality that no matter how far the individual comes in the spiritual path, at the end of the day when we reach that limit, when we reach that wall in which all human capacity is extinguished, wherein we've come as high as we can possibly go in discerning the reality of godliness, what we confront is the reality that even after all is said and done, we know absolutely nothing about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. And it's specifically at that moment, at that moment of apprehending the reality that there can be no true apprehension of what the reality of God is, so to speak, that the individual is tossed into the deepest experience of faith possible, which is accepting and joining the reality of spirituality, joining the reality of the existence of God in spite of the lack of knowledge. What Rabbi Nachman of Breslev echoed so often in the name of the Rishonim and the Rishone Mahshave Yisrael, the philosophers of Judaism, which is that tahhlis hayadiya shaloneidah, that the apex of knowledge is when an individual who is seeking God out comes to recognize and comes to realize that after all is said and done, after all of the fancy postulations of God's existence and God's reality, at the end of the day, I know nothing about the true reality or the true essence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is what is expressed in the Svarim of the Tamidim of the gra, as well as the Tamidim of the Baal as the distinction between Yediyas HaMetziyus and Hasagas HaMohus the knowledge of existence and the grasping of essence what is barred from us what no makubal what no kabbalist will allow to write in his books is hasaga is the experience of the essence of god and here for the sake of truth i'm going to bracket the sugya of the labavitereb sigganelay of Menachem Mendel Schneerson of Lubavitch, the seventh Rebbe, the Malchus of Chabad, unlike any other tzaddik before him, attempted to question what we're talking about tonight. The Rebbe Schusia Genelenu attempted to recreate the relationship we have with the concept of etzem, of essence. But for the sake of our purposes and also my understanding of the Lubavitch Rebbe Schusia Genelenu, I will still claim that it is still within the rubric of what constitutes Jewish thought and Jewish Kabbalistic thought, that at the end of the day, it is impossible for the human being to truly grasp the essence of God. All we can know is the existence of God. That is the negative theological impulse as expressed within Maimonides, within the Rambam, as well as expressed in the teachings of the Arizal through his conception of Tzimtzum and Shveros HaKelim, which already at the inception and the origin of reality, we encounter a breakage between the infinite and the finite. And certainly is going to be expressed in the writings of the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and the Tzadikim of Radzin. So when questioning the fact that questioning Represents a deeper level of connection with God. I believe that the answer to the question of why is the question so necessary, I believe that the answer is going to be because, in spite of the fact that we may be able to apply answers to certain questions, that we may be able to settle certain doubts and confusions and existential antinomies that we experience within ourselves and within other people and within the world at large. When all is said and done, when taken to the limit of what we're capable of thinking or expressing, one will always already come to the conclusion that there is an irreducible distance between what I can know and what truly must be known. Or in other words, there will be a distance between the creation's capacity to surge forward and try and grasp its origin, and the truth of the origin, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu u the concept of God in its true alterity, in its true otherness, in its true infinite nature. Now, none of this, God forbid, is coming to deny that there is an intimate relationship between the infinite and the finite. None of this is coming to deny deny the fact that there is an intimate relationship between God and creation, heaven forbid. All I'm trying to say in the name of our tzaddikim is that in spite of the fact that through spooky action at a distance, through some secret of faith, what the Zohar refers to so often as Raza the secret of faith, which at the end of the day will always already remain a secret, because no matter how much we try and talk about it, no matter how much we try and express its essence, we will always end up short of truly describing what it is in its true nature. That yes, we cannot describe what it is, but that does not negate from the fact that it exists. The negative theological impulse within Kabbalah, within the Rambam, within the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin is not to claim, God forbid, that there is a gap between the reality of God and creation, but rather that as human beings we will, we will never be able to fully grasp that relationship. And I believe that it is for that reason that the question will always outweigh the answer because questioning itself is almost a symptom of the fact that I can never truly arrive at a true answer. That any answer that I arrive at, any conclusion that I arrive at about spirituality or about godliness or about the reality of God in my personal life, in my heart, in my mind, in the world, in reality, will always fall short. Because to claim, heaven forbid, that as a creature I can have a full grasp of the creator is to claim that the creature and creator are like in their essence. And one of the archetypal paradigms, one of the axioms of what it means to be a Jew in the world, to believe in a monotheistic creator who allows for ethical monotheism to emerge into the world is to recognize that there will always be a gap between the human being who is attempting to reach out to God from their isolation and their howling solitude, as the Rav would so often quote in the name of Kierkegaard, and the reality of the sublimity of the cosmos as run by the Creator itself. Like Chazal tells us, what God says, so to speak, is that no matter how lofty along the ladder of spiritual development you reach, there will always be a gap. There will always be a distance that allows for faith. And it's specifically here that I see the quality of Ishbitz and Radzin allowing for questions and doubt and struggle to be more informative and more instructive about religious experience than knowledge and absolutism. And what we're going to start with tonight is one of the most unique, beautiful, perhaps popular, teachings of the Ishbitzer, of the Loach himself, of Rav Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz, the archetype, the paradigm of what Ishbitz is coming to say, the student of Rav Simcha Bunim of Shischa, the student of the Katskareba, this is going to be found in Loach in Chilak Aleph, Parshat Yisro, and the Dibar Hamaskil the starting words are going to be Anochi Hashem Alokacha. Now the Ishbitzer, the Meishiloach of Mordechai Yosef is going to be asking a question about the first Dibra of the Asarasa Dibros. The first Dibra that God, so to speak, announces in his own tongue, in his own language, Kav which destroys, which annihilates, Knesset Yisrael, annihilates those who are standing at the ready to receive it the first dibra that is uttered by the infinite, so to speak, is Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am Hashem your God. I am Havaya your God. And what the Ishbitzer is interested in asking is why is it Anochi Hashem Elokecha? Why is the way that Hashem in the Torah describes himself as I, as the subjectivity of the infinite, why is it described in the word Anochi, which is Alef Nun Chaf Yud, which is translated as I, instead of ani, instead of the same translation of the word, the same word that represents I, except that it's lacking the chaf. So the question of the Meshiloach here is, why does the first Dibra start off with anochi instead of ani? The Meshiloach says as follows, anochi Hashem alo I am Hashem your God, velo ne'emar ani. It doesn't say I. Ki Ilu Hayaksiv Ani because had the Torah written I am Hashem your God in the word of Ani Alef Nunyud Hayamashma Shagila Zakadushbarhuliasral as Kol Ora Bishlemus, Velo Yahlu Akakah Laha Mikbidvarov because had God so to speak utilized the appellation or the name Ani Alif nun yud, to represent the subjectivity of the infinite, of I, the implication would be that I am what I am revealing at this moment, and there is nothing else that you need to try and understand. I am fully expressing my fullness in this moment, and anything that is grasped in this moment is the totality of what I contain. So had the verse written, ani Hashem alokacha, I am Hashem your God, without the chaf, which interrupts the word ani, it would have been assumed that at Matan Torah, at the disclosure of the Torah itself to the Jewish people, God revealed himself, so to speak, in its fullness and in its totality. And there would have been no more room to deepen our interpretation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to deepen our understanding of God. Ki kvar gila hakol, because at that point, if the word Ani was used in the hermeneutical understanding of the Meshiloach, it would have been as if everything that could possibly be expressed was already expressed. But the Meshiloach answers and he says, Ach, however, Hakaf mora she'eina b'shleimus d'mus v'dimyon hu l'haor she'yega l'hakadosh barakul asid. But the Meshiloach answers and he says, The reason that the verse uses the word Anochi instead of the word Ani, both of which represent the concept of I-ness or subjectivity or the ego itself, is because the Chaf is the Chaf Hadimyon. In Jewish grammar, in Hebrew grammar rather, the Chaf Hadimyon, the Ki, that is placed before a word, is representative of the fact that I am expressing an idea right now, but this idea is not meant to be taken entirely literally as if everything is being expressed, but rather at its core, it is still stuck in the concept of metaphoricity, that I am explaining something by way of metaphor, that this is like that, or this is not like that, that the kuf, hadimyon, the khaf, implies that there is an imaginative understanding of what I'm trying to explain. And this chaf that is added to the word ani, which creates the word anochi, is reminding us of this ever-present responsibility that we have to recognize that in spite of how high we come in the ladder of understanding the infinite, it is still only by way of metaphor. It is still only by way of analogy it is still only the chaf hadimyon, to remind us eternally that no matter how lofty we reach, we can still never claim that we have reached the apex of where we're trying to reach. That at the end of the day, no matter what answer we arrive at, there will still always already be a question that can place that answer into a doubtful status, because that is what allows the Jewish experience to be one of faith instead of one of knowledge. Faith, which is predicated and constituted by a certain lack of awareness, a certain lack of knowing something, which demands of us a descent and a thrownness into this open-ended questioning space where we, we don't know anything, but we choose to believe in something. The Meshilach continues and he says, what the chaf represents, what the word Anochi represents, is the fact that nothing is full, and it's only an example, or a dimion, or a hint to what will be revealed in the future, and that any time a person feels that they have reached the apex of spiritual knowledge, what they must recognize is that above that point of spiritual knowledge there is another moment where we come to recognize that what I have known is only the preparation or the introduction to what I do not know. That all of my knowledge, all of my knowing, all of my intellectual capacity to explain and codify and limit and measure the concept of godliness, and no matter how close I come to idealizing the concept of God, by creating very specific measurements a height and a width and a length to my conception of God, the Jewish faith always demands the fact that we transcend those realities and accept the basic reality that all I can do at the end of the day is have faith in what is unknown. That no matter how lofty I have come along the road in spiritual awareness what I come to recognize is at the end of the day, I cannot apply any positivistic measurements to the concept of God in my life. What this means psychologically for Ishbitz and Radzina, as we're going to see in future Shirim, is that no matter what I assume about myself, no matter what I assume about my relationship with God, no matter what I assume about my relationship with other people, no matter what I assume about the reality of existence itself, can always be destroyed to show that the opposite is true. That for Ishbitz and Radzin, idolatry is the thought that I can truly state what God is, that I can limit the nature of godliness. This is something expressed in Parshas Bo by the Meshi as well, when he discusses the differentiation between Moshe Rabbeinu's conception of godliness and Paro as the paradigm of the non-Jewish experience, of Egyptian exilic experience of divinity is expressed. That according to the Medrash, when Moshe Rabbeinu went out to greet Paro, he found him on the brooks of the Nile River. And the Medrash has a very interesting statement there, stating that Pharaoh would go out to take care of his physical or bodily needs away from the eyes of anybody else. Because the idealized spiritual or religious concept of the Egyptian monarchy at that point was that Pharaoh was superhuman. That the Pharaoh, that the leader, did not need to engage in the basic physical restrictions of what it means to be a human being. And Moshe Rabbeinu confronts him, Omed Om al standing on the Nile River, And Chazal have the question. They say, when Moshe Rabbeinu confronts Pharaoh, is Pharaoh standing upon his God or is his God standing upon him? And the Meshiloach explains as follows in Parshas Bo, that for certain spiritual perceptions or certain potential spiritual perceptions within each and every one of us, there is an impulse or a desire to stand upon our higher power. To stand upon a higher power means to be capable of saying, this is what my higher power is. This is my conception of godliness. These are the parameters and the demarcations and the limitations and the measurements of my conception of God. And nothing else is going to be true. Anything that goes outside of the rubric of my personal understanding is going to be considered as if it is nothing because I truly understand the nature of God. I can truly say what the essence of God is, so to speak. And the Meshiloach says that what Moshe Rabbeinu was coming to confront Paro about is that you are Omed Allah Ya'or. You are standing on the Nile River. You are the one who is claiming that you have a true grasp of God. But for us, for the Jewish people, we have no concept of standing upon God. We have no concept of having control over our conception of what God is because at the end of the day, the heights of our faith is that place where we recognize that all I can do is believe in God. I cannot truly ascertain the parameters of the infinite because the infinite abolishes and annihilates any conception of parameter. That it's specifically in the recognition that there is a limit to my human knowledge, that I come closest to my God. And this is what gives room to the question. This is what states for Ishbitz and Radzin that the questioning of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the questioning of reality itself, the abiding awareness of the fact that things are not the way they are supposed to be, and that yes, there is some way that they are supposed to be, but I don't know how that is supposed to look like, that is where we come closest to the experience of uniting with our God. Now, for the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin, this is also going to have a fundamental psychological and phenomenological experience. Because for the Rambam, and maybe even for the Arizal, it was enough to clarify, philosophically speaking, or spiritually speaking, that there can never be a true unity between creation and creator until HaKadosh Baruch allows for that to emerge into the world at the end of history. But prior to that, there will always be an irreducible gap, which demands that the closest thing we can come to godliness is an act of faith, is almost a leap of faith. But for Ishbitz, it's not enough for this to remain a philosophical concept, but it's more important that this becomes a psychologically lived experience. Because for Ishbitz and Radzin, it's not enough to contemplate and postulate and intellectually question the reality of godliness or the relationship that we have with God as human beings. But what is most fundamental is a specifically from my human situatedness, specifically from the position of malchus, from the position of not knowing. That is the place where I am going to be forced to engage God in the deepest way. So Ishbitz and Radzin also explain this phenomenon of negative theology, of at the end of the day, realizing that what I can say is lower than what I cannot say. And that language pales in the face of silence. And that very often it is in the silence of the soul, in the silence of the self, that we come closest to encountering the infinite creator, rather than by postulating specific philosophical statements. Ishbitz and Radzin apply this to the nature of the soul as well. And what we're going to find is that when it is applied to the soul itself, the experience is one of dissatisfaction. Because satisfaction implies that I have reached the goal of what I've been trying to reach that I have gained what I am trying to gain and that I can be satisfied with what I already grasped or what I already know as if there is no more room for me to grow or continue. The abiding dissatisfaction of the nefesh in the teachings of Ishbitz and Radzin, as well as the teachings of the Arizal and the Zohar, which can be experienced and expressed in future Shirim, that it is specifically in the dissatisfaction of the soul. In the soul sense that there is something left that I have not reached yet, that in spite of the fact that I have acquired all that my soul desires, there is still an abiding sense of desire which leaves me disquiet and uncomfortable. It's specifically in that phenomenon of the soul that we encounter the true reality of how Ishbits and Radzin want to look at spiritual experience, which is that in this world, the soul will always be dissatisfied. And that dissatisfaction of the soul is not because we are incapable of grasping what we want to grasp, or because we are not good enough to get what we want to get, or because we are not smart enough to intellectualize what we would like to intellectualize, but rather the dissatisfaction of the soul is part of the ontological makeup of reality. That the way God has created the world the way that God, so to speak, has desired human beings interact with it is that there always be a gap that and so the fact that the answer always the question always outweighs the answer is not because the answer is not good enough but because the nature of questioning, the nature of seeking, the nature of desiring something which is not present yet, the sense of lack, the sense that there is something missing from what I need is part and parcel of that which constitutes the human experience in this worldliness. It is not pidiyeved, but rather it is l'chatchila. Had the tzaddikim or the mikubalim or our Starim expressed that there can be a true grasp of godliness in this world in some intellectual or even emotional way, then there would be a closure to the spiritual experience. It is specifically in the non-closure in the fact that it will always remain open until God, so to speak, decides that it can be closed in a way that is beyond any conception that a human being can experience, like Chazal have told us that Mashiach comes behesah that God arrives specifically in an act of mindlessness where we're not trying to understand it. Until then, the highest spiritual goal that we can accomplish is what we cannot say is the recognition that there are those things that are removed from our human capacity. And the Meshiloach and his students and his children, the Beis Yaakov and the Sod Yisharim, express this beautifully in countless places. One of the mekorvos which I want to look at right now is going to be a few sentences from the Teferes HaChanochi, Tepharas HaChanochi is going to be the parish on the Zohar from Rav Gersh and Henech of Radzin, one of the more beautiful sparim within the library of Ishbitz and Radzin, a highly recommended sefer. And this is going to be in the Zohar and Parshish Lukas. In the old printing, which is the same as the new printing, it's going to be page 157 or Iin Tess in this printing. And the Sadi Sharm says as follows. And he says, Ve'ha'inyin. And the concept, The sense that the desiring soul can never allow for its desires to seek desiring. Again, that the desiring soul can never allow its desire to seek from desiring. Almost stating abundantly clear and explicitly that desire is the foremost experience of the soul. Desire is not something that happens because I haven't gotten what I wanted, but rather desire and yearning for something and wanting something which is not present right now is one of the idealized and most expressive ways that the soul can experience anything. sha,, <speaking in Hebrew> The Sodh Sharma says that the reason that the soul does not stop from desiring that which is not present is because the soul can never be satisfied with what this world can offer. That in this worldliness, in the confines of what we describe as reality, where our typical notion is to ascribe a certain elevated status to knowledge over non-knowledge, or certainty over doubt, or answers over questions, the soul will always be left desiring, and it's only when we penetrate into the depths of what the soul actually is that we can begin to understand why this desire is fundamental to the human experience. And the Sodiyasharim, as he does in countless other places, quotes from the Medrash Rabba on Parshas VaYikra, which states that how can we consider the relationship between the soul and the body? How can we consider the relationship between that which connects us to our creator and that which connects us to created reality, between that which creates us to the abiding hope that exists beyond hopelessness and the hopelessness that is apparent in this worldliness, to the nature of ourselves that is constantly and essentially seeking goodness and light, as opposed to the parts of ourselves which always feel drawn down through gravitational pull towards heaviness and restriction and things which are difficult and broken. And the Medrash in Vayikra Rabba expresses that the relationship of the soul and the body can be compared to the relationship between a villager who marries a princess. And this is something we discussed in the Shiram on addiction as well in the Shiram on the Lashem That that. When the villager marries the princess, the villager can offer the princess every single thing that the villager considers good and pure. But in spite of the villager offering everything it has in its resources, the princess will always be dissatisfied. And Chazal asked, Why will the princess always remain dissatisfied? Why will the soul always remain dissatisfied? Why will questions always outweigh answers? Why will doubt always outweigh certainty? The answer is not because the irony, not because the village person is lacking or is incapable of providing the princess with what she deserves or what she wants, as if it is the fault of the village individual, as if it is the fault or the blame or the shame of the individual that they can't grasp godliness but rather it is an ontological reality as constitutive of the reality of the princess itself who comes from the elevated space of spirituality that she simply will not be satisfied with what this world can offer. Which means to say that no matter how high we emerge and ascend on the rung of knowledge and the rung of philosophical speculation, we can never truly arrive at what the soul is truly desiring, which is cleavage with God, which is unity with God. And the reason for that is not because we're lacking or broken or insignificant or not good enough, but in spite of our being good enough, in spite of our being significant, the reality of how God interacts with human beings is by way of negation, is by saying what cannot be said is by coming to that limit space where I recognize that no matter what I assert as certainty about my God or my creator about reality, is at the end of the day still going to be considered faith because I can never truly enter into that space of absolute knowledge. Because if I were able to enter into the space of absolute knowledge, then it would be as if God has revealed himself entirely and there's no longer any space to grow or no room for novelty. And it's the tenant or axiomatic of Jewish faith as expressed in the writings of the Ishbitzer Tzadikim and the Ratziner Tzadikim that Jewish faith always allows for a deepening of our understanding of God. That what I understood yesterday as the apex of my knowledge as the loftiest conception of godliness or spirituality will today emerge to be shown to be something that is limited and insignificant which forces me to grow and develop a new understanding. That the dissatisfaction of the self, the fact that we so often walk around in this world in our interpersonal relationships, in our relationship with ourselves, and most importantly in our relationship with religion or comfort that religion is meant to offer, is that I am left wanting. And being left wanting for the Ishpitzer and the tzaddikim of Radzin is the reality of what it means to be a Jew. That it is the wanting and it is the desire and it is the chuka. And it is that rut zone that abides within the self eternally, unsatisfied, not because I don't have what I want, but because it is impossible for me to ever get to a place of satisfaction, because that is the experience of spirituality. And it's specifically in that dissatisfaction, in that not knowing, that I am capable of reaching a relationship with God. Because specifically in that point of not knowing, I can emerge into a place of faith, a faith that is predicated and constituted by the kernel of doubt, the fact that I cannot say with any absolute reality what is what. And there will always be a sense of human effort, there will always be a bechira, there will always be a choice in the development of spirituality. That, as the Balhasulim writes, echoing the Zohar and echoing all of the Mekubalim, Ein kithia baruchnius. there can be no compulsion in spirituality. If absolute knowledge were a possibility, that would demand a certain act of compulsion because if I knew truly the reality of God or the essence of God, then it would be impossible for me to choose otherwise. It is specifically in that cloudy point In the fact that as human beings, the one constitutive truth of our experience is that we can never with absolute certainty claim what the reality of God is that allows for faith to continue. This is why, according to the Meshiloach Loach and the Beis Yaakov, God in Kabbalah is referred to as Ein Sof, without limit. Because to claim that there is some positivistic expression of God is to limit God to those confines or those measurements. It's specifically in the negation, in what I do not know, in what elicits desire for more knowledge within me, where I can encounter God and, more importantly, encounter myself. Now, the law has an incredible statement about this concept as applied to spiritual and almost psychological experience, that this impossibility of coming to a place where I can truly know God is what allows for faith to penetrate into human experience. And in the first volume of the Meshiloch, and because we're running out of time, I'm not going to read it inside. And this is going to be in the section of Tehillim on Mizmor Shir Liom HaShabbos, on the Song of Shabbos. The Meshiloch says that in the Song of Shabbos, we state, David HaMelech states, the psalmist states that how deep and how wondrous are your thoughts, God. How unpenetrable are your thoughts. How removed from human access are your ways of engaging in this world? Ish ba'ar lo Ish ksil A foolish individual will never understand this. Now the typical understanding of this kapitol in Tehillim is that God's ways are very deep. God's ways have an inherent reasoning to them, an inherent nature to them. But because we're limited in our knowledge, Ish ba'ar lo but because we're stupid in our human form, because we're ignorant, we will never come and truly understand the true nature of godliness. We will never come and truly understand how HaKadosh Baruch Hu interacts with the world. That's the typical understanding. What the Meshilach wants to say is something remarkable. When David Amal says that God, your thoughts are... are impenetrably deep. What he's claiming is a philosophical and spiritual law that human beings can never come to truly understand God in this world. That no matter how high we climb the rung of spirituality and religion and our experience in this world, whether it be psychological, secular or religious, we can never truly emerge onto the thing in itself. We can never touch what it is that we're trying to touch. We can never acquire what we're trying to acquire in a sense that true satisfaction is an impossibility, not because we don't deserve it, but because it's impossible. <inaudible> the foolish person will not understand this. The Meshiloach says that any person who comes and questions this difficulty of understanding God is because they don't truly understand the true nature of God, which is that is it is outside the confines of human understanding that the foolish person will not understand that the human being can never truly encounter God in its essence. At best, what we can say is that it exists, but not that we grasp the essence. So the foolishness in this capital is not attributed to the individual who has a difficulty understanding the depth of God's thoughts, but rather it's attributed to the individual who thinks that they can have true access to God. That the foolish individual who's one who asks questions about why Hashem is interacting with me this way and claims that God is not acting fair with me, the foolishness there is that we thought that we had an assumption of what God might actually be in its essence. But the true nature of faith is coming to a place that we don't even have those difficulties. We don't feel that God is interacting with us unfairly because we recognize that at the end of the day, I can never truly understand how God interacts. That the foolishness is the belief that there can be some positivistic assumption of what God is, instead of coming to the culmination of the negative theological impulse. And to end this series of, to end, I'm sorry, not the series of Shirim, but tonight's Shir, on this concept of the dissatisfaction of the soul, I want to read a remarkable teaching from the Sod Sharam, which is on Leil Pesach. This is going to be in the second volume of the Sod Sharam on Moadim, in Os in the fifth teaching. And then the, the Sodhi says that we begin with questioning the reality of God. We begin with questioning God's nature in this world. We begin with questioning God's presence in this world. And then we reach answers, which end the culmination of the quest. But after we've reached an answer, another question emerges. And that new question is not because of foolishness, but that new question is because no matter how high the answer reaches, there will always be a question that outruns the answer. Because, as we've said, questions will always be the apex of where we can come in relationship with God. Like the Zohar Kadosh says, <laughs> That no thought, no contemplation, no speculation of godliness can truly grasp the essence of God. But the Sod here allows for himself to say exactly what it is I was hoping he would say, Kav yachol as a reader i experience this sometimes that the sodisharm leads you along the way hoping that he's going to say something and very often he doesn't say it and a person is left crestfallen and struggling with how to understand the sodya but there are times where the Sharm will express exactly what it is you hope he expresses the sodisharm says as follows he says with zos shaya etslo metchilaso that these questions and this desire, and here the Sodi Sharm is equating questioning and desire, because the fact that my soul can never be satisfied and the fact that my intellect can never be satisfied are symptomatic of the same reality that there will always be an irreducible distance, an unbridgeable distance until God, so to speak, decides that that distance can be bridged between the creation and creator, between something and nothing, between me and meaning, and the Sodim continues the Sodhisham continues and he says, Zosa sha'ila It emerges again and it is renewed at the end. But satchuka. and on this rejuvenation of desire, this survival of desire even after it receives what it desired to begin with the sense that even after I get what I want, even after I feel satisfied, there is a lingering sense that I do not have what I need right now. This is what the Pasuk means in the 40th parak of Yeshaya when it says, rov anim koach ishlo ne'edar, that in spite of the greatness of strength and courage, a human being will not be lacking. So the Tzadikim of Ishbitz and Radzin ask, what will I not be lacking? that God, so to speak, promises each and every individual soul from within humanity, from within reality, who seeks out God, who is attempting to cleave to that which is not accessible, to that which is impossible to reach. God promises, so to speak, that that desire and that yearning and that movement out of the self which wants something so desperately with all that it can feel will always remain there as it was there in the beginning. There will never be a time where that desire goes away. Even after you think you have reached what you've wanted, what you will uncover is that there is more desire. There is more room to grow. Even after I have grasped everything that I can grasp. Even after a person has reached all levels of comfort and all levels of knowledge, nevertheless, because a person will come to realize that no matter how lofty I have gone in the chain of spiritual experience, in the chain of philosophical investigation and speculation, I will always come to recognize that what I know pales in comparison of what I do not know, and for that purpose, faith will always outweigh knowledge. Now, Be'ezrus Hashem, next week, what we're going to be discussing is why this is so. How is it that, in spite of all of the knowledge that we encounter, we will always be left yearning or questioning for more knowledge. And next week we're going to uncover or examine the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin's treatment of chisaron, of lack. Something that we discussed explicitly in the Shiraman Addiction, but we're going to show in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin that each and every individual has a particular lack and that lack is not the result of missing something, but rather the lack is constituted of their subjectivity and it will never go away as long as a person experiences this world. And it's specifically that lack which allows for the, the lack of closure, that infinite open-endedness of the human experience in this world with the infinite.